A Gentle Thief. Written and performed by Amanda Dixon. Episode 16. In episode 15, we find Maddie and Khan back at the counselor's office. She asks them how their holiday was. They begin to talk about Khan's dreams of death. And Maddie explains how she experienced death when she was in a car accident and actually killed someone, a woman. She leaves with Khan and they go back to her home. And she describes in detail how she killed a woman in an accident. And she feels terrible about it. She speaks with love about her father for perhaps the first time, and they stay together and talk into the evening. And now episode 16 of A Gentle Thief. It had been nearly four weeks since Sophie mailed the packets to the three medical examiners in the Johnson case. She didn't expect to hear back within a week, even two, but she had hoped she would have heard something by now. At least she had been able to confirm with each of them by phone that they would accept the assignment to review the material and render an opinion, but that was all she could get. None of the three would commit to a timetable. Each explained that his independent consulting work had to come after the people's business, which in their line of work could not be predicted. Today, all she could think about was Cedar City, Utah. She wondered if Consulier still lived there. Was that possible? She fired up her internet browser and Googled his name. Consulier, editor of the Cedar City Review. Well, I'll be, Sophie said out loud. She saw his byline on a number of articles as she browsed the website. Stories about accidents on I-15 and happenings at SUU. There was a whole range on the website devoted to new babies in the area. He must have loved that, she thought sarcastically. Come on, give me a picture. Sophie kept surfing, looking for a photograph of Khan. He must be at least 45 or 50 now, maybe older. She kept clicking back and forth around the page. When that didn't give her what she wanted, she went back to Google. Google pulled up more bylines from the Cedar City Review, a few from other southern Utah papers, but no picture. Sophie sighed and began rearranging the files on her desk. She had them stacked in a staggered fashion, so all you could see was the top of each file with its case name. Sometimes a sticky note stuck up with a case citation written on it or a phone number. She aligned Tom's cases on the top, beginning with the Colorado River case, and then organized the cases from front to back in terms of deadline and money. She pushed the Johnson case to the bottom of the second stack. There was nothing she could do on it now anyway, except wait. Rosie walked Sophie's messages into her before she left at 5.30. Thanks, Rosie. Now get out of here, Sophie teased. Oh, I'm planning on it, Rosie smiled, then asked, How about you? How about me what? When are you getting out of here? When was the last time you got home before 9 o'clock? It's been a while, I guess. Too long, if you ask Sean. So why not tonight? Rosie encouraged her. These can wait till tomorrow. She gestured at the message slips. Thanks, Rosie. Sophie smiled. I really appreciate you. I know, she smiled back, then teased. I am priceless. With that, Rosie turned and left. Sophie flipped through the message slips. These old-fashioned pink slips of paper felt so quaint to her. In the age of voicemail and email, who used these anymore? Law firms, that's who. She saw the message from Ike Johnson first. It was right on top with a notation, please call. 
Then she flipped through some other clients, one expert she had been trying to contact in an oil and gas case. And then she saw Charla's message. Call me, you jerk, it said. Sophie bet Rosie had laughed, writing that down verbatim, obviously at Charla's insistence. She picked up the phone and dialed Charla. She needed one little indulgence that couldn't be billed to anyone. Hello, Charla answered. It's the jerk calling, Sophie mocked her. How could you not have called me to tell me what happened at Mildred's? How could you not have called me? Charla demanded. I tried to call you on the way back to the office that night, but you didn't answer. You never leave messages. Do you have any idea how much that bugs me? Everyone leaves messages, Soph. It's the way the world works. Yeah, well, I just call back. That's the way I work. So what happened? Out with it. She was really interesting, Sophie said as if it surprised her, leaning back in her chair and putting her feet up on the credenza. She is exactly the way you describe her. She's beautiful and exotic and interesting. Well, what'd she say? She told me I'm going to take a trip and that I will discover something on the trip that will help me with the case. She wouldn't tell me anything directly about Madeline or what happened to her, though. Hmm. I wondered about that. You told me she could help me with the case, and frankly, I don't know how saying in some amorphous way that I'm going to take a trip at some unknown time to an unknown place will help me with Madeline's father. Sophie's tone was a little more critical than she had intended. But she was interesting. I'll give her that. What do you think it means? Where are you going to go? Charlotte didn't seem to take offense at Sophie's tone at all. It was one of Charlotte's greatest qualities, her slowness to take offense. I don't know. Sophie answered. The only place I can think of is Cedar City, Utah, where she was found dead. So go, Charlotte replied. I can't just pick up and go to Cedar City. I've got work to do on other cases. Work all night, get your other work done, and drive there tomorrow. Go, go, go. By myself? What am I supposed to do when I get there? Look up our old boyfriend. Didn't you say she just broke up with a boyfriend? Yeah, I googled him today and found out he still lives there. No way, that's it. Go see him tomorrow. And what do I do when I see him? That is, if I find him. Do I just walk up to him and ask if he killed Madeline Johnson? I'd probably think of a way to do it with more finesse than that, but yeah, that would work. I love you, Sharla. I know. Call me from Cedar City tomorrow night. Gotta go. Love you, too. Man, she was something. After calling Sean and telling him she was going to have to pull an all-nighter on her titillating Colorado River research, and after hearing the sadness in his voice, Sophie made fresh coffee and watched the lights on the strip come up in her window. The glow from them was visible out of the corner of her eye while she wrote at the computer. She had no idea if she'd really drive to Cedar City tomorrow, but the thought had actually occurred to her before Charlotte suggested it. She had let her mind wander there, thinking that the only way she was ever going to get to the bottom of this case was to go there, to go to Madeline's house, to see if any of these characters still live around there, and find out what really happened. She knew it sounded naive, like she could play detective and resolve a 20-year-old case in one unplanned visit, but she didn't know what else to do. Trying to solve it from Las Vegas, even with Rick's connections, wasn't getting them anywhere. And the one thing Sophie knew for sure is that there was no chance of going to Cedar City if she didn't finish this water law research tonight. 
Plus, she was in the mood to dazzle Tom. She sensed he did not have a good impression of just how powerful and competent she really could be. Some dazzling was in order. Sophie got to work. She started in the library, poring over cases in the federal reporters. She was more efficient than usual, not taking the time to read the facts as carefully as she usually would, skimming for cases that were dead on point. She flipped back and forth between jurisdictions as the open volumes piled up on the large conference table. She paused when she felt her blood sugar getting low, rubbed her eyes, and walked down the hall to the break room. She was surprised to see all the offices dark. What time was it? When she flipped on the light in the break room, she was shocked to see the wall clock read 11.30 p.m. Holy cow, it was almost midnight. She had been working for nearly six hours. She opened the fridge and scanned for food she might borrow. A translation, steal but beg forgiveness for and offer to replace after. She found an old half a sandwich that may have, in fact, been hers and smelled it before she dug in. Sometime after three o'clock, she stopped researching and began to pull the argument together. She knew when she started bumping into the same cases over and over that it was likely she had exhausted the topic. This was the state of the law in this area, at least so far, and she would have to give Tom the most persuasive argument she could with the best cases she had been able to find. She had two California Supreme Court cases that were promising, a couple of Ninth Circuit cases she could cite for good language, and some Nevada cases she could easily distinguish. She began the memorandum after her seventh cup of coffee, wondering if, at this point, the caffeine had any effect on her whatsoever. She wrote a strong opening, her language coming with more confidence than she had expected it to on no sleep. She hit her stride just after four o'clock and started stringing case citations together to support the most important points. A little after five, Sophie printed off the first draft, which she read and decided would be her best effort of the night. She made copies of the key cases, highlighted the relevant sections, and put the complete work on Tom's chair before the sun came up. Then she grabbed the Johnson file and left. Driving home, the sky was just starting to lighten. She noticed the cars speeding past her on I-15 and wondered if they were dealers getting off shift at the casinos or gamblers who took their losses and called it a night when they realized they wouldn't be able to sneak in their homes if they stayed any longer. Sophie smiled when she realized she felt no fatigue. She actually felt invigorated by the accomplishment of the night's work and the thought of going to Cedar City. She had no idea what she would do when she got there, other than pick up a local newspaper and look for consulier. She doubted anyone at Madeline Johnson's school would remember her 20 years later. She didn't know if her ex-husband was still teaching at the college. Sophie made a mental note to Google him before she left. She thought to invite Rick to come with her. It was his case, after all. He had a right to take the lead. But she was afraid he'd tell her she was crazy that she couldn't expense a trip to Utah for a wild goose chase, that no, he was not going to go strong-arm some two-bit radio announcer into admitting murder. She debated whether to invite him or not, whether to even tell him. Should she go home and shower and just leave? Should she call in sick? Would she tell Rosie, even if she didn't tell Rick anything? What about Sean? What would he say? Would he try to keep her from going? Would he worry that it was dangerous for her to go confront an old boyfriend of a dead girl who clearly had something to lose if the truth came out, at least the truth as Ike Johnson saw it? 
Sophie had a few second thoughts about making a a two-and-a-half-hour drive on no sleep. She wasn't the best driver, after all, especially in canyons. Big trucks made her nervous. Snap out of it, she scolded herself. She remembered the scene in the movie Moonstruck when Cher slaps Nicolas Cage and yells, Snap out of it! Sophie smiled. She hadn't come this far in her life, in her career, by playing it safe. She had always just gone for it, whether it was school or a relationship or whatever. And she was going to go for this. And she wasn't going to hide in the closet about it. She picked up her cell phone and dialed Rick's extension. Rick, it's Sophie. She cleared her throat as she left the voicemail. It's not quite seven o'clock on Thursday morning, and I'm headed home to get a shower. I spent the night at the office finishing some research for Tom. Look, I've decided to go to Cedar City. I'm driving there today as soon as I can get ready. I'll just take one day, but I want to talk to Consulier. I found out he still lives there, writes for the local paper, and I just can't get my head around this case without interviewing him myself. I know you probably think I'm crazy, and you may be right, but I've got to do it. I'll have my cell on if you need to reach me. Oh, and I'd love to have you come along if you could clear the time, but I'm assuming that's probably not possible. So wish me luck. And she hung up. Sophie took a deep breath. Done. No going back now. She took her exit off the freeway and pictured sitting next to Rick all the way to Cedar City. Pictured confronting that slimy solier with Rick by her side. Pictured learning something powerful that blew the case wide open and then calling Ike Johnson from a village inn on the way back. You will come to know your one true love through this journey, Mildred had said. Was that what she said? Yes, Sophie thought. Who is her one true love? The psychic hinted that there was something gnawing at Sophie about her marriage, some question unanswered. Was that true? How could this trip possibly address an issue in her marriage? Not that she had one. They had nothing to do with each other. Should she ask Sean to come with her? No, she's not 12. She doesn't need a chaperone on a business trip. And that's really what this was, a business trip, wasn't it? Her cell phone rang. She looked at the clock on the dash and realized that Sean would just be waking up. She answered her phone with sweetness. I missed you last night, baby. Well, I missed you, too. It was Rick. He started laughing. You are one crazy broad, you know that? What in the hell did you want to go to Utah for? I told you. I've got to interview Consulier if he'll talk to me. And if he won't, I'll try to talk to the cops or any teachers at the school who might remember Madeline or her ex-husband, somebody. And you're going to do that without calling ahead, without setting up any appointments, without me. Something about his tone didn't sound serious. Oh, I'd I'd love for you to come, Sophie said truthfully. I don't know, Brownlee. That's a lot of time alone with me. Think you could handle it? (laughs) He teased her. In my sleep, she teased back. He laughed again. No, (laughs) I'm not going to Cedar City today, and neither are you. He paused, waiting for her to contradict him. When she didn't, he continued. In fact, I'm glad you're up early. Go home and change clothes and meet me back at the office by 8.30. I've got a live wire and I could use your help with him. Who? She asked, still caught off guard by his dismissal. I'll tell you all about him when you get in. He's a sap, just your type, who thought he could pull one over on First National Bank of Nevada. What a dolt. He's going to try my patience, I can just tell. He's coming in at 8.30. Meet me in my office. Rick? I'm going to Cedar City. Sophie stiffened her backbone. Not today, you're not. And he hung up.